Good morning, church. How are we doing? Uh, glad to see you guys. Uh, you know, the Lord sometimes, uh, you know, he has a sense of humor and sometimes lays out a message series. It's exactly what you should be teaching, but also what you should be receiving. And that's really where I am today. Two weeks ago, I spoke on surviving failure, and I mentioned in the message about uh, having to do a little construction project over here in Kid City, paying my stupid tax, all that. If you didn't watch that message, you can watch it online. And uh, today is on surviving discouragement. Now, listen, I'm an optimistic person. That's just the way I uh, kind of think. I just think given the two choices, I would rather be optimistic rather than pessimistic. I would rather be positive rather than negative. But with that, that does not mean that I am um, uh, uh, not able to be discouraged. Sometimes uh, I face discouragement just like everybody else. And it happens sometimes when you least expect it. And uh, I've been working on that project over here for the last couple weeks. And while I've, I've had some hands help from time to time, I, I took a bulk of that, working late hours and trying to prepare that. But on Wednesday this week, we were kind of coming to a conclusion. By the way, if you ever need a drywaller, don't call me, amen, all right? So uh, anyway, I was doing some things, sanding, finishing, and uh, now it was painting day, and it didn't happen exactly like I expected it to. I thought we would make more progress than what we were making, and now it's getting later, and it's about 6.30, 7 o'clock. I'm still working. The inspector's going to be coming. And I just sit on the ground, hadn't eaten all day, just sat against the wall, just discouraged, just discouraged. I was processing through that day, you know, things like some, some relationship challenges that a couple of my children are having. I was processing through that. I, I was processing through uh, a, a, another project that I was involved in that I've been working on for several months that didn't conclude like I, I wanted it to. And, and then I was processing, like, you start doing the always and never thing, you know, like, no, no, nobody really cares, you know, nobody wants to, you know, this kind of thing. You know it's not true, but this is what's going on in your mind. And here's, here's all I'm saying. Little, little things, by the way, that day would annoy me things in my mind. I didn't tell anybody, but little little things would be annoyances to me that wouldn't normally be annoyances to me. And, and that's what was happening. That is the power of discouragement. And if you've never been there, listen, it's going to happen. And if you understand what I'm talking about, it probably has talk, happened to you. And so today, what I want to do is talk about the symptoms of discouragement, but I also want to talk about the cure of discouragement because it happens to all of us. It happens when a project you've been working on is rejected, or a relationship you value is tense, or an employer that you've given everything to lays you off, or when a goal that you sought to accomplish seems unattainable. Discouragement happens at, at it seems just like just like just the wrong time. And if you think you're alone on this, history has a lot to say about discouragement too. Did you know Abraham Lincoln one time? As a young lawyer said, I'm now the most miserable man alive. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon one time was preaching to 5,000 people by the time he was 30. And he, write, he writes, before any great achievement in life, some measure of depression is very usual for me. Early in their marriage, Martin Luther's wife watched him battle times of discouragement, even questioned God's willingness or ability to help him. And he was so discouraged that one day she came out wearing a black dress 
in mourning. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, you're acting like God is dead, so I thought I would join you. In the Bible, Job said, I loathe my very life. King David said, my soul is downcast within me. Discouragement has been around for a long time, friends. But the good news is, wherever there is a problem, God provides a solution. And whenever you are discouraged, God offers you a cure for that. And so today, we're going to look through a story in the Bible about a guy named Elijah. And and I want to tell you his story, a little bit of his story, and then I want to go into a time of discouragement, depression for him, really, okay? Now, the, the, the highlight time of his life came when God was really showing up for him again and again, and he sat down by a brook, and God provided water through that brook, and, and he was hungry, and so God sent ravens to feed him. Pretty miraculous, huh? And then later, when he, that brook dried up, he then found himself going to the home of a poor widow who had literally almost no resources, but she had a son. She had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour in some jars there. And through uh, Elijah, God told her that if she would help provide for Elijah, that he would make sure that that flour and oil was replenished every day. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And she was faithful, and God was faithful, and another miracle was happening in Elijah's life. Not only that, this lady's son became ill and died. And again, through Elijah, God did a miracle and raised this kid from the dead. And Elijah was a witness to all of that. But I think the greatest miracle in his life happened on the Mount Mount Carmel. And uh, the prophets of Baal, a false god, were all claiming that their god was the best. You know, our god's the best, your god's the worst. We got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit, how about you? The whole thing, you know, going up on the Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal yelling out to their little G God. And and so Elijah started to trash talk the 450 uh, prophets of Baal and tell them that their their God's no big deal. And and he put them to a test, put them to a challenge and said, if my God shows up, he's real. If your God shows up, he's real. Let's just see what happens. The prophets of Baal all day, weeping, mourning, cutting themselves. Oh, please. Oh, God, please show up. He never showed up for them. And then Elijah puts a bull on the altar and covers it with water over and over and over, pours water, water, water. And and when he prays, just fire from heaven poured down on that altar, burned up all of the, uh, the, the meat there, burned up all of the altar. That's how powerful God was. Then all the prophets of Baal were killed. And now Elijah is victorious, but he's victorious because his God is victorious. It is literally a mountaintop moment. And one of the things I've seen in my life is sometimes on the other side of the mountaintop is a valley of discouragement. And so here he is, and Jezebel, the queen, learns about what had happened to her prophets, and she is not happy. And she says, I'm going to kill Elijah. And that is where we find this story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19, and through this story of Jezebel coming after Elijah, we're going to see what happens in discouragement, and then after that, we're going to see kind of the other side, the opposite side, the cure of discouragement, okay? The first one is, when we have discouragement, we tend to exaggerate our problems. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done, and how he has killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. 
In other words, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Think about that. He had just defeated the 450 prophets of Baal who are weeping and killing, and I mean, like cutting themselves, but one woman comes after him, and the dude is running. I mean, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. I think it probably came out of this scripture. And he's just taking off. He is running. He's afraid of Jezebel. And there are probably a lot of principles we can learn in here, but I think there's something about discouragement that we can learn. Discouragement exaggerates the problem. When people are discouraged, they tend to think their problems are worse than they actually are. And they use words like always or never. Their spouse never helps around the house. They are always on the golf course. The kids always misbehave. The boss always is on my back. People who are discouraged believe that everybody is against them. They believe that nothing is working their way. They tend to only see the negative side of life. I heard this cute little story about a guy who had a neighbor. They were both farmers. The neighbor was super negative all the time. You could never make him happy at all. And so uh, this guy bought a dog and trained him to do all kinds of really, really cool stuff. I mean, just amazing things that would impress this negative neighbor. Taught his dog to sniff scents for miles away, sit and point for an hour without moving a muscle. And one day he invited his neighbor over, and they were going to go hunting in the duck blind, and they were going to go duck hunting and, and so the guy shoots a duck. It falls on the pond. The dog, he says, go fetch. The dog actually walks out, walks on the water. Amazing. Walks on the water, gets the duck, walks back on the water, drops the duck at the guy's feet. And it was just now he's going to think, now his neighbor is surely going to be impressed. And that old guy says, that beats all I have ever seen. That beats all I've ever seen. Your dog can't swim a lick, can he? And that's the way it is. I, think, I just think negative people just always see the negative side of life. It just doesn't matter. You know, no matter how miraculous, that story's not true, by the way. I just made that up. But no, no matter how miraculous it is, no matter how amazing it is, negative people just, just see the negative side of life. And, and, and people who are discouraged, they only see the negative. They only see the, this is what always happens to me. Nobody likes me. Nobody's around for me. And if you know somebody like that, somebody who's discouraged, you know that they can't, just cannot see that positive side. Number two, they withdraw from people. Verse three says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. In other words, he isolated himself. He left his servant and walked for a day to get away. And he, and he just wanted not only to be alone, but don't, I don't want anybody around me. And one of the symptoms of those who are discouraged or depressed, they tend to pull away into their shell, shut the world out, and, and kind of reject the people that are closest to them. Tend to depart the normal schedules, the normal activity, look for reasons to uh, stop attending our, our core group at church or our community group. We find excuses to get out of social events. And the ironic thing is, when we isolate ourselves, our isolation and loneliness just magnifies itself. Dr. Philip Zimbarlo, a professor of psychology at Stanford in Psychology Today, one time wrote an article called The Age of Indifference. He said, I know of no more potent killer than isolation. There is no more destructive influence on physical or mental health than the isolation of you from me and us from them. It has been shown to be a central agent in the ideology of depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, and mass murder. 
And that is our tendency. When we're discouraged, we tend to pull back from people. Number three, suicidal thoughts. Verse 4 says, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah was in such a desperate place that he said, God, I don't even want to live anymore. I just want to die. And maybe he voiced a prayer that you've prayed before. Maybe you've been in such a desperate place that you've prayed, nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. Nobody, nobody really wants good things for me. Maybe it'd be better if I just wasn't here. Suicide is a real problem in America. According to the CDC, 44,834 people took their life in 2020. More people died from suicide than homicide. Benjamin Miller, Chief Strategy Officer with Wellbeing Trust, said, we saw the number of calls to the National Mental Health Crisis Hotline in March 2020 was 891% higher than the year before. In other words, 2020 was a tough year. People are going through challenge, and this is not just a national problem, it's a local problem. As several months ago, we walked with a family of a young man who decided to end his life. And this is such a tragedy, such a difficulty, because it's really a lie from the devil that says that you're not worth anything, that your life doesn't matter. But friends, listen, if this is you, let me tell you, there is a better way. You are here for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life that right now you may not see. And while there may be other people that criticize you or reject you, God loves you. And you may have failed in some way in your life, but God is still on your side. Don't ever forget it, that you are valuable beyond words. Gene Apple one time tells a story. He was a pastor in Las Vegas. A guy, after a message that he preached, he thought it was a pretty good message. Gene did. But after the message was over, this guy brought him a bullet and handed it to him. And Gene said, I didn't know what to do. I'd never... I never received a bullet after a message before. I didn't know what the meaning was in that. And this guy said, Pastor, this bullet I was going to use to take my life. And he said, I decided as a last-ditch effort that I would show up today. And, and God spoke into my life and encouraged me. And I just want to give you this bullet to tell you that I'm not going to take my life. And Gene said he keeps that bullet on his desk as a reminder that their church is for people who are not okay, and that it's okay to not be okay. And for some of you today, you may be wanting to end it all. Don't do that. Seek help. Call. Email us. Let us know. Talk to us afterwards. Any hour of the day, at any point. We had a, one of our friends of the church last week I stayed with for quite a while and talked with through some of the ups and downs, challenges of life until about 1, 1.30 last weekend. And then later that week, on Friday, on Thursday night, he ended up uh, collapsing and, and being unresponsive and is still in the hospital. And, and it was just a moment of just saying, there's something going on in your life, and I don't know what it is, and maybe you don't know what it is, but I'm just telling you, we're here for you. And now we've had others that have encouraged him through the process of, of you know, being in the hospital, trying to get diagnosed with what happened. And here's what I'm saying. That every one of us face discouragement. Every one of us face physical challenges sometimes. And, and being aware, reaching out to somebody and saying, I notice something different in you right now. Can we walk with you through this? And then, and then try to avoid those moments where it ends up in crisis. 
Number four, improper eating and sleeping habits. Verse five says, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up, eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. He was strengthened by the food. Don't you love how God just shows up? Leave it to God to, like, when you're discouraged, bake a cake by your head. Amen? There's nothing better than that. Just bake a cake. Notice Elijah had to be reminded to eat, reminded to drink something. Because when we are discouraged or depressed, one of the things that happens is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Maybe we sleep too much. Maybe we go back to bed for a long time. Maybe we don't sleep at all. Maybe we eat all the time, or we don't eat enough. Improper eating and sleeping. And number five, avoidance of responsibility and feelings of inadequacy. Verse 9 and 10 says, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And listen to that question that God asked him. Elijah. What are you doing here? And what we find out in the scripture is, we know where Elijah ends up. And I'll tell you that story in a minute, but Elijah ends up in the wrong place. And God asks him, what are you doing here? And what, what happens is, when people are discouraged or depressed, they go to places where they shouldn't be. They avoid responsibility. They feel inadequate. God, I'm just like everybody else. God, I'm so inadequate. God, I'll never be able to do anything. And those feelings creep into your heart and into your mind. And they've crept into my mind as well from time to time. Maybe you're not worthy. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not talented enough. Maybe you're not whatever enough. Now, those verses paint a pretty dismal picture of discouragement. And maybe you relate to those. But that's the one side. Let's flip the coin over. Let's talk about the cure of discouragement, okay? The first thing I would say seems very simple. Seems like a church answer, but it's true. Take your concern to God. Verse 4 says, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, you might say, well, that was a kind of a silly prayer. But I'm saying, at least in that moment of desperation, he gave it to God and said, God, I'm concerned. I don't even want to be here. And I'm just telling you guys, God can handle those problems. And when you turn it over to him and say, God, I don't know what I need, but I do know I need something. And a little bit later, we read in verse 9 that Elijah, when he left that place under the tree, he actually ends up going from there to a cave. It says he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. So here he is in a cave, the dark depths of depression and discouragement. Anybody ever been in that cave before? He was hiding from God for a little while. And by the way, that reminds me of another guy that was in a cave in the scripture. His name was King David. And just as Elijah was being pursued by Jezebel, David was being pursued by Saul. He ends up in a cave. And while there, he writes, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell him all my trouble. And David in the cave says, God, I need something. I don't even know what it is, but I need your help. And one of the things that you and I need to realize is that it's okay to cry out to the Lord in our time of need. What Elijah learns in verse 9 
is that God is going to do what he can to get your attention. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He over-exaggerates his problem. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. But he didn't go out right away. So then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Isn't that a great text? Here's Elijah in the cave and God's doing whatever he can to get him out of the cave. And so there's a great earthquake. There's a wind. There's a fire. Rocks are falling around him. God's like, I'm going to do what it takes to get you to finally hear my still small voice. He was not coming out. And so eventually he hears that small voice. God gets his attention. And I'm just going to ask you guys, what is it going to take for you to get out of the cave of self-pity? What is it going to take to get out of this cave of discouragement, the cave of fear, the cave of discouragement and depression, cave of guilt? Some of you may be hiding out there. And you do not want to come out. You don't want to face God. You don't want to face anybody else. Let me remind you from this passage, God's going to do what it takes to get your attention. He wants you outside the cave. He wants you to move to the mountaintop to begin to hear that voice of God. Because we all have challenges. Not one of us has got it all together. I read that Muhammad Ali one time, in the, sort of at his prime, was on an airplane and he was refusing to buckle his seatbelt flight attendant reminded him to fasten his seatbelt, and rather rudely, Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant quickly responded, Superman don't need no plane either. So he fastened his seatbelt. Even Superman had limitations. And so do you. So do I. But our God does not. There is no cave so dark that God cannot light, no pit so deep that God cannot reach, no problem so huge that God cannot solve. And I don't know about you, but, but I don't want to wait to see what God will use to get my attention. I want to listen to that voice. Secondly, take care of your body. Again, we read in verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up, eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. He was strengthened by the food. Let me encourage you. If you're discouraged and down, take good care of your body. You may not uh, care today how well you take care of it, but I guarantee someday you are going to care. And you never know what that little bit of food will do for your spirit. This past Wednesday, I told you I was discouraged. I was fighting some mental battles. And I realized toward the end of the day that I hadn't eaten all day. I was just working hard. Jess Romano showed up. She was going to work a shift and put some paint on the wall. And she brought some delicious chocolate chip cookies. And I had one of those things. And it was like the Lord baked a cake at my head. Amen. I mean, it was so good. And I was like, that little cookie just encouraged me and made me feel better. And I'm just telling you that if you, if you take, just eat chocolate chip cookies. Amen. That's what I'm saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. But anyway, eat a little bit. Do something right. 
take care of yourself, and listen to your body. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was probably about 35. I was playing softball for our church softball team, and I was in left field. And during the game, my hamstrings started to get more and more tight, and I was ignoring it. I was like, ah, it's no big deal. I'll just work through it, you know, kind of work through the pain. And, uh, but in the third out of the inning, I stretched for a pop fly that was coming my direction, reached out to get the ball, and as I did, it wasn't a pop. It was just like it released, like, and I hobbled back in, and by the next day, my entire leg was black all the way down. I went to the doctor, and he said, well, you've had, you had four string ha- hamstring muscles. Now you have three. And I was like, that's not very encouraging. He said, listen, at, at your age, like at my age, I'm 35. He's like, at your age, he said, they didn't do anything for Ken Griffey. They're not going to do anything for you. And he said, but scar tissue will build up, be fine. It took about a year for me to get back to 100%. And eventually it did become okay. But I look back on that and say, man, I wish that I would have listened to my body because it was talking. And I've had other things like that happen over the years where I wish that I'd listened if I'd listened better. My body was talking to me. And I just want to encourage you, don't ignore the tightness in your body and in your spirit. Don't ignore those little signs. Proper rest, relaxation, eating habits, and exercise is essential to that proper physical and mental health. And so even if you don't feel like it, start doing the right things. Right action will lead to those right feelings. Number three, take action when you don't feel like it. That is so key. Listen to these verses. It's in verse 5, it's, God said, get up and eat. In verse 7, get up and eat. In verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain. In verse 15, go back the way that you came. Over and over, God was speaking into Elijah's life. Go do something. Go do something. Get uh, up. In other words, get going. And I know that's the last thing you feel like doing, but when people come in and they talk to us about depression A lot of times we'll say, listen, everything that your body and your mind is telling you not to do, you need to do. If your body and mind is telling you, hey, just uh, don't go go to church, go to church. Don't get up and do anything. Get up and do something. Avoid people. No, you get around people. In other words, do that that opposite thing because your body's not telling you the truth. Your mind's not telling you the truth about these things. Get up and get active. J. Wallace Hamilton has an interesting article about depression. He says, one way to help yourself come out of it is do something with your hands because that's not only a diversion, it provides a sense of accomplishment. So many of you have jobs where the accomplishments are intangible. Maybe it's in the area of social work or teaching or some technical field where you feel like, I, I hardly ever see the end goal. And when you, but when you do something with your hands, whether it's baking a cake or weeding a garden or mowing the grass, finishing furniture, then when you're done, you look at it and say, I've done something, I've accomplished something, that'll help to encourage you. But most importantly, just get out and start doing something. Discouragement is fueled by inactivity. Helen Keller once said, when one door of happiness closes, another opens. But so often we look at the closed door that we do not see, the one which has been opened for us. Paul said it this way, do not become weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up 
If you don't feel like going to church, go anyway. If you don't feel like singing when you come, sing anyway. If you don't feel like being pleasant and kind to people, do it anyway. If you don't feel like going to work tomorrow morning, do it anyway. If you don't feel like working hard, do it anyway. And eventually you'll find out if you're persistent in doing what is right, your spirit will pick up and follow. William James, the psychologist, said, if you act the way you wish you felt, eventually you will feel the way that you act. Number four. Take steps to build relationships. Verse 19 says, So Elijah went from there. He found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come with you. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. I love what Elijah did here. He found a friend. He found somebody he could mentor. He found somebody that could follow in his footsteps, somebody he could be close to. And friends, when you are discouraged, you tend to withdraw from people Isolate yourself to say, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to have to pretend. I don't want to talk to anybody. But just the opposite is needed. What you need is exposure to people who care about you, who are sensitive to your needs, and who will encourage you. When you get discouraged, you need to be with people who love you. But you may say, I don't have any friends. That's part of my problem. If that's you, let me encourage you to get involved here at church. There's no better place. Right? We've started a young adult community. It's just a robust community. It's drawing students and young adults because there's a need for relationship. We have community groups. We have men's groups that are here. This is the third Thursday. This Thursday, our last one for this season. We have times where we're getting together. We have all kinds of relationship opportunities, whether it be CrossFit or Kala Coffee or wherever. We are trying to create the environment, but you have to be willing to take the step. Get involved. Get involved. Jump in in some area, and you will find really an encouragement to your spirit when you're able to build those relationships. So I want to encourage you with that. I love this story that Dr. Charles Swindoll tells in his book, Growing Through the Changing Seasons of Life. It tells about a time when Paderewski, the famous composer, pianist, had a concert in America. It was a social extravaganza complete with tuxedos and long dresses. And before the concert started, a young mother brought her nine-year-old fidgety child to the seats near the front. She brought him there because he had started playing piano, and she thought, maybe this will be an answer for him. Maybe if he sees this great piano player, he'll want to be better and better. And so she was there, and yet she turned to talk to somebody beside her, and that nine-year-old fidgety child got up from his seat and went up and was attracted to the ebony piano on the stage and he sat on the bench and started to play chopsticks in front of everybody. The crowd started to murmur, what's happening? This is strange. Why is that mother paying attention? Get that child off the stage. Well, the famous piano player noticed he was off stage. He noticed what was happening. And without even being announced, he just put his coat on really quickly and walked out onto the stage he came behind the nine-year-old child, put his arms around him, and began to play a melody and a counter-melody that matched the chopsticks that the boy was playing. 
and he began to play this beautiful piece. He bent over the child, and, and he said, don't stop playing. Don't stop, son. Keep going. Keep going. And together they made this beautiful masterpiece before that crowd. And I don't know, but I might be talking to somebody today who feels like in a lot of ways you are playing chopsticks in your life. Anybody feel that way? I felt that like that for the last week when I tried to do drywall. That is no joke. I'm like, I am no good at this. I am not good at this. I felt that way when I try to be a parent sometimes, like I'm playing chopsticks. I felt that way when I have an argument at home with Lisa, like I'm playing chopsticks. Sometimes I feel that way when I'm preaching a sermon. I go, that was the worst sermon ever. I don't know what happened. I'm just playing chopsticks. Man, I mean, I know it's going bad. They know it's going bad. It's better if I just walk off. And yet, sometimes in those moments, so often, when I feel like I'm playing chopsticks, I'll come out after a sermon and say, that's the best sermon ever. I go, were you in the same room that I was in? Because that wasn't that great. Or, 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 or one of my children gets something that maybe they didn't get before. And I said, man, I feel like my parenting was chopsticks, but somehow God did something in my life and in their life. And what I'm just encouraged by today is this, that when you feel like you're just putting out a little bit of effort, it's really not that great, that the God of the universe says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He says, just come with me, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy burdened. I will give you rest, I will yoke up to you, and we will go at this together. And so I want to encourage you guys today to remember that when you're discouraged, you're not alone. Take some of these practical steps. Go back and look, into, look online. Listen to it again. Take notes. Walk through this. And go, I'm in this process right now, so I want to do the things that we're talking about. I want to learn from the story of Elijah. But ultimately, I want you to remember today that you need to know you're not alone. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what pitiful little effort you're putting out there, or at least you feel that way, that you have a great composer, the creator of the universe behind you. And he's encouraging you. And together he's making a masterpiece in your life that you cannot even see. I've seen this happen time and time again in people's lives. And to that end, I want to pray for you today that you would begin to trust that in your life. God, we just pray. And we thank you so much that you, you are the ultimate creator. and You're the ultimate supporter. And God, today there are people in here who do feel like at every turn that maybe they're, it's just not going their way. And God, help them to remember that's just a season of their life. It's not the whole life. Sometimes we have a springtime where things are growing. Sometimes we have a summertime where things are relaxing. Sometimes we have a fall where, God, it just seems like we're not sure what's happening. Maybe it's getting busy. And sometimes we have a winter, God, where it seems like everything is, is just falling apart. And those seasons are what they are. They're seasons. But, God, you're with us in every season. You're with us in every storm. You're that gentle whisper in the cave. And so, God, I just pray today that we would learn to trust you. And we learn that as we put effort forward, you're going to come alongside of us and partner with us. And so, God, I pray for the discouraged heart today that you would, again, revive our spirit, refresh our soul. And we just pray for that in the name of Jesus.
to stand with us as we